Miss Perry is over there, I think, to take you to children's worship, kids, so you can go ahead and head out uh, for children's worship. The rest of us are going to be looking this morning at uh, Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. That text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Okay, Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. We're going to read the whole text. Uh, This is uh, the instructions given by the Lord to Moses about uh, Nazarite vows, a particular kind of religious uh, commitment uh, that uh, people made. Um, So uh, we're uh, going to look at this today uh, in a little bit of depth. So... um, Let me read to you now, Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes, Or eat grapes, fresh or dry. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even For his father or for his mother or brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation and bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void because his separation was defiled. And this is the law for the Nazarite. When the time of his separation has been completed, he shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting and he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish as a sin offering and one ram without blemish as a peace offering and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil and their grain offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire 
that is under the sacrifice of peace, of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled and one unleavened loaf out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he shaved the hair of his consecration. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. Wow. So who had raisin bran for breakfast? Any of you? Right? What, a, what, a, what an unusual text, right? Who knew that raisins were a problem? Something that you should abstain from. Maybe you think... All right, it's one thing to abstain from wine, but even even raisins, right? Um, let me say at the outset of this uh, that my bias towards uh, outward shows of devotion is suspicion. Let me just say that at the very beginning. Uh, and the reason why I uh, am suspicious of them is because um, we are, uh, as we'll see as we look at this text, uh, we are easily deluded into thinking that somehow or other, by our devotion, we earn something from God, certainly, or worse yet, we are demonstrating our piety and our religiosity and our spirituality before others to impress, to impress, right? We wouldn't do that, of course. But it is a pretty fascinating thing. And Jesus warned against this, didn't he? He said that it was a, a bad thing if you are practicing your faith simply to for the accolades of the people around you. So what in the world are we to make of these 21 verses that lay out for us this particular time and particular kind of devotion that could be made uh and a recognition and a celebration, really, of holiness and separateness uh, from the, the, the world. So we're going to look at this this morning and, and unpack it a little bit and actually draw some conclusions and some application for uh, uh, what, well, just how this might impact our lives. So what was a Nazarite? A Nazarite was a man or woman whose voluntary, note it was voluntary, Vow was a temporary personal commitment to avoid three things, right? Anything having to do with grapes. Now, anything having to do with grapes, seeds, skins, any of that stuff. And so you're like, well, what's up with that? What? Why is that? Well, uh, I don't really know. And uh, I'm not real sure why that is. I, I did research on this week to try to figure that out. And... Uh, uh, two things popped up that I think are worth mentioning. And I don't know if either one of them is true, but, you know, we're, we're religious people, so we like things that sound cool and kind of religious. So here they are. Uh, the first one is that the grape was associated in the ancient world with joy. Right? Wine. Uh, a good gift from God. And uh, the enjoyment of, of that was something that someone might uh, forego for a period of time. So that's 
that maybe, maybe that's it. If you like that one, pick that one. Um, the other one was that from the time typically you were able to plant a grapevine until the time it bore fruit, somewhere in the neighborhood of three years. And so uh, by saying for a period of time you would not eat uh, anything that came from a grapevine, you're recognizing the fact that you're a pilgrim uh, because no, no pilgrim, no nomad would plant grapes and expect to harvest them because uh, you're moving and you're, you're not staying in one place long enough uh, to be able to do that. Is that it? I don't know. Uh, it, it kind of might make sense to us that someone might forego alcohol for a period of time, but the fact that you would forego any kind of contact with this at all, that's, I think you have to dig a little deeper to come up with the reason for that. Secondly, the cutting of hair. So, so for the period of time that you did the vow, you didn't cut your hair at all. Now, already, uh, you know, uh, Jewish males did not cut the forelocks uh, uh, on, on, on their hair. But now this is the whole head of hair. You don't cut it. You let it grow, right? And then thirdly, a scrupulous avoidance of dead bodies. Not just that you didn't touch them, but you didn't get close to them. You get, didn't get anywhere around them. Now, now what's interesting about this is, and what's, what's kind of unusual about this is, is one of the things that we noted at the very beginning of this book was a count. Hundreds of thousands of people. And we know that by the end of the book, only two of those people that were alive when the initial census was taken are going to make it to the end of the book. So you are around, if, if you do the math, over the 40-year period, 40 period that happens here, uh, I, th- I think it's, well, it's thousands of people are going to die every day in this community. So it's going to be really hard to avoid uh, being around anybody, you know, to just, just to avoid that. And it even says, if your father, your mother, your brother, your sister... Or if you're walking down the street and somebody just dies, you're off. Okay, so this is this is a hard thing, right? It's kind of unusual, right? Because we tend to think of, well, what am I going to give up? Like, what are what are some things that I might fast from for a period of time where I might uh, say to my friends and say to God, for this period of time, I'm I'm going to fast from these things. I'm I'm going to abstain from these things, right? And so, so there are any number of ways that we might do that. But, you know, for, for many of us and for most of us in, in our day and age, that's really hard for us to do. One of the things that I hear from people all the time is I really have a hard time fasting by, from food uh, because it's supposed to make me more spiritual and make me think more about God. But all I can think about when I'm fasting is cheeseburgers. And so, so you know, so what I, I would always say to folks, well, you know, it's, it talks about your longing and your trusting in God to provide you for that. Yeah, but all I can think about, that's fine. I'm starving. No, you're not. You're just hungry. There's a difference. That never goes well. So, um, so, the, so the fact is, as, as we look at this, this is something that, that is, is kind of odd and kind of uh, difficult and kind of challenging for us to think about. Next slide. So... Uh, the obligations that a Nazarite took on were much like a, a lay priest, uh, except that the duration of the vow was temporary. Because when we read about the instructions of priests, priests couldn't drink uh, while they were on duty. 
Uh, They couldn't cut their hair while they were on duty, and they certainly couldn't come in contact with dead bodies while they were on duty because it would make them unclean and therefore make them unsuitable for uh, the service in the tabernacle. So this is kind of like a a person, uh, uh, anyone uh, among the children of Israel, not just Levites, could a man or woman could kind of make this decision, uh, uh, announce that they were going to make this vow and, and then follow through with it. Now, a couple of notable ones uh, to note is uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mom. When uh, the angel comes and tells, Sam, uh, tells her that she's going to have Samson, he also tells her to abstain from wine uh, because Samson is going to be uh, a Nazarite, right? He is uh, not to cut his hair, not to touch anything that's dead and not to drink. Well, he lived for that, <laughs> you know? I mean, think about it for a minute. One of the first things we see about him doing is getting drunk at a Philistine party. Whoops. Uh, and touching dead things, he liked to eat honey out of lion carcasses. Now, that makes him gross. Anyway, and what was his weapon of choice? The jawbone of a donkey. It wasn't a live donkey. He's he's not hitting people with a live donkey. It's dead, right? So that didn't go so well for him, right? That was was kind of... But in a contrast to him, we read about Samuel as someone who was wholly dedicated to the Lord. And uh, it seems to us that he probably was a Nazarite. And uh, though the scriptures don't tell us that he was... Uh, Eusebius, who was a uh, early church historian, tells us that John the Baptist was a Nazarite, that uh, he was uh, he was unique in that way. So so it's kind of funny to to, to think about uh, exactly um, uh, how this is uh, how this was supposed to work. Now, what, one of the things that you have to do when you come at this text uh, and, and bear with me in this because this is, this is important because when you come at this text, one of the things that you note about it is that the majority of the words in this text are not about how to keep the vow, but what to do when you break the vow and, and what to do when you're at the end of the vow. Isn't that funny? Uh, and I think that's, I think that's a, 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 a really interesting thing because not much of the passage deals with what to do if the, or, or note that much of this passage deals with what to do if the vow is broken, inadvertently or not, and what to do at the end of the vow. And, and this is the thing that you might have missed when I read through this, but here's the problem. You make the vow for, for the next two years, I'm not going to cut my hair, I'm not going to touch anything with grapes, and I'm not going to come near anybody who, uh, dies and you're walking through the camp and somebody in front of you dies. And you made this commitment for two years and this is on day 729. Guess what? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go back to the beginning and start all over again. Right? Going to miss those raisins, aren't you? Right? Cut your hair. Offer these sacrifices. And one of the things to note about this is one of the things that is, is so interesting is that when, when this were to happen to you, that when, when, when uh, you, would, you would have to spill blood. Right? 
Next slide, please, uh, Scott. Because if the vow's broken, blood had to be spilled to make atonement for the sin, and the time period had to begin all over again. And one of the things to note is that the initial offering is two birds and a lamb. Why is it two birds? Because they're cheap. Because you break the vow a lot. Okay? It's not something that is uh, as easy. And so the, so the time has to begin uh, all over again. And one of the, one of the things that you have to uh, kind of unpack about this is, is that even if this happens to you inadvertently, even if, if someone dies near you, right? You had nothing to do with that. You are in no way responsible for that. You are, you are scrupulously keeping your vow. And in a situation completely out of your control, something like this were to happen. You've got to start all over again. Wow. So when the vow was completed, a number of offerings were required. So you had to, as we read here, you had to make a whole burnt offering, a sin offering. You had to offer up this unleavened bread. And then finally, a meal was eaten in the presence of God. Well, what do we, what do we note about that? This, this is, this is kind of interesting because when you get to the end of your vow, you kept it. You did it. You scrupulously avoided grapes. You let your hair grow long. And at the end of it, you, you uh, weren't near any dead bodies and you've done it. You've kept your vow. You were separate. You were holy and all that. Why in the world would it be necessary for you at the end of this to offer a sin offering? Because you just did it. You, you completed it. You, you did what you said you were going to do. And yet at the end of it, what do you have to do? You have to offer a sin offering. Why? Because you might have avoided dead bodies and you might have avoided uh, grapes and you might have let your hair grow, but you sinned. You failed. You, you're not perfect. You lost your temper. You, you uh, had uh, an inordinate desire for something or somebody or, or any number of those things. So even at the best... Even in, in, in your best circumstance, in your best situation, as you're offering these things, as you're doing these things, even then it's tainted. And even then, as you have completed the separateness, you recognize the fact that you need a sacrifice to be made for you. So I think this is a, this is a pretty uh, powerful thing to, to kind of unpack and, and, and to think about. Because the fact is, And it may strike you as unfair that just because you're walking down the street and someone dies near you that you have to start all over again. Well, this is simply the recognition. The reality is no matter how separate you want to be for God right here, right now, no matter how holy you want to be, no matter how much you want to be set apart, the truth of the matter is the world and death and sin will inevitably intrude somewhere or another in your life. We read uh, in church history about the monks who went away and, and, and locked themselves away from the world in an attempt to demonstrate their devotion and to keep themselves set apart from the world. And that is, that is a laudable thing. But the problem with that is they brought it with them. It was already in them. They, they were sinners themselves. And so, so the very fact that there were people inside the monastery meant that sin and death was there in the monastery as well, right? And so, so the, so the fact is 
The, the recognition by these sacrifices and, and these things at the end of this is no matter how good you are, no matter what commitments you keep, it doesn't matter. Sin intrudes upon your life. It affects you. It touches you. It, 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 it has its impact on you. And so no matter how good we are, no matter how well we perform, we must have a sacrifice. We must have atonement made for us. Um, so let's draw some conclusions about this. Uh, these kinds of vows were voluntary. Nobody compelled you to do it. Uh, nobody, nobody did it, but they were voluntary. And so, so you, you could volunteer to do this, right? But once you made the vow, it had to be completed. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is, uh, unlike the way we would do this, if we had the West End Presbyterian Nazarite Club, let's say, then that's how we would do it. Because it's not personal unless we get other people to do it with us, right? Right? So, so we're the Nazarite Club. We've been enlightened. We're the super religious. And so come join the inner circle, the cool kids. Be like us. But this is not the way they're doing it, right? They're simply saying, listen, this is a voluntary thing. It's something between you and God. Uh, the, the priest holds you accountable to that. But this is something between you and the Lord, and this is something that you do. Now, now that, that's important for us to, 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 to think about. But even more importantly than this is the, the, the nature of vows. And we could spend a lot of time this morning thinking about this, but the fact is... Uh, vows by definition are voluntary, but once they're made, they're made. Very serious. That once this commitment has been entered upon in God's eyes, in fact, he says in Ecclesiastes, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Okay? Uh, vows are very solemn and something we need to be very careful about. And the reason why they are so solemn and so sacred is because vows are always about the future. Always about the future. I will. I promise to. And you can't control that. It's very difficult. Uh, uh, last weekend, I, I watched my middle child raise his hand, and take a vow. And I heard the colonel who uh, uh, administered the vow say that now you're taking a step and the nation will entrust its sons and daughters into your leadership. And I almost ran up on the stage and tackled him. <laughs> because I thought, really? Before God and these witnesses... You are making this promise. This is a profound thing. This is a profound thing to stand in front of your friends and family and take the hand of someone you think is lovely and cute and wonderful and say, in sickness and in health, I will love you. It's about the future. It's a profound thing. And so, so one of the things that you should see about this is about the, the difficulties and the things that must be done in, in the restarting of the vow is there's, there's no lifting of the vow. 
The vow's the vow. Secondly, I think the real impact of these Nazarite vows and their purpose had more to do with the people who were watching and less to do with the Nazarite himself. Obviously, uh, this was not in some sort of self-righteous display, but a reminder of commitment and set-apartness that was to be Israel. I think what what was supposed to happen here is as you're walking through the camp and as you're you're walking around uh, doing the things that you're doing uh, and you see somebody with super long hair and super long beard, uh, that one of the things that you should note about that is that, ah, that's probably a Nazarite. And rather than think, wow, I wish I was as holy as they were, the, what, that, what that should do is that should remind you of the unique relationship that God has with his people, the unique relationship that, that, is, that is there uh, among his people, and that the purpose of God in drawing a people to himself is that in some sense that they are set apart and that, they are, uh, that his redemption of them has the purpose of changing them, of making them a unique people that belongs to him. Uh, third, even with careful planning, the vow was often broken. And, and I would suspect it was almost always broken at some point and that someone would have to start all over again. Sacrifice had to be made. And fourthly, what we need to see is all of this ends with a joyful meal eaten before the Lord. And this is what we know about history, right? And the, at the end of history, what do we do? We, at the end of our uh, lives, we will eat this meal uh, with the Lord, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what does Jesus have to do with this? That's an important question. Because some people would want to say Jesus was the ultimate Nazarite. Now think about that. What's the first miracle Jesus did? Right? When uh, uh, I was in uh, high school, uh, I went to Sunday school, and Marty's uncle, my favorite, her, all of her uncles, my favorite, I love this guy, was my Sunday school teacher. And he's very committed to the fact that drinking any kind of alcohol ever is a sin, terrible sin. And so being a 17-year-old, I said to him, well, wait, Jesus drank wine. No, he didn't. Like, well, wait, he turned water into wine. It wasn't really wine. Well, what was it then? It was grape juice. I said, well, you know, God made grapes with a coating on the outside of them so that when you mash them, they immediately begin to ferment if you don't pasteurize them or freeze them. I don't think Jesus had a refrigerator. And I don't think they pasteurized this. So if Jesus drank wine and that's a sin, then my sins have not been atoned for and we are in deep weeds here. It wasn't wine. Next topic. We know that Jesus regularly went around touching dead people and raising them from the dead, right? And contrary to all the creepy pictures that have been made of him over the period of time, we don't know how long his hair was, right? 
all those pictures that make Jesus look like he should have been at Woodstock uh, may may or may not be accurate about what he looked like. So so if if this was a way to demonstrate your set apartness from the world, then how is it that Jesus doesn't do that? Why does why is it that John the Baptist he looks like he's a super righteous guy and and he's a super you know careful guy about doing the things that he did, but then then we look at Jesus and that Jesus doesn't seem to be keeping these Nazarite vows at all. Well, there's a couple of ways that you can look at this. I mean, one, one of the ways that I think is, is most profound about this is, is that what Jesus does for us <clears throat> is he keeps all the vows that have been broken. Jesus covers us because he is the sacrifice. And so, so whenever we think about this, whenever we, we look at this, one of the things that we have to see about him is he enters into this world and he takes on all those things that make these vows broken. All those broken vows that we made, all those broken promises that you've made, all those times where you say, Steve, that's harsh, man. We, we don't want to talk about breaking our promises. Okay. Maybe you haven't broken any promises. All those times you made excuses for why you weren't able to keep your promises because inadvertently someone died in front of you and it made you unclean. But you see what we have to see here is that that no matter how good we are, no matter how well we perform, no matter how smart we are, how gifted we are, how enlightened we are, uh, how much we see the world for what it is and see ourselves for what it is and the commitments we make and the gifts that we give and all of those things, in the end, they don't measure up. And so it is essential for us to have someone who comes and takes that on for us and makes ultimate atonement for us. Otherwise, we are caught in this endless loop of repeatedly trying to work ourselves up, trying to achieve some sort of righteousness so that we can be okay. But Jesus, once and for all, keeps the promise of God, keeps all of our promises, dies the death that we deserve. And as a result of that, as a result of that, changes us so that now our commitments... Our vows take on a whole other flavor and a whole other direction and a whole other energy because now Jesus has kept my promise because Jesus has done this for me. It energizes me now to move, to do, to keep the commitments that he brings to me. Now, one of the things that I think is so important about this is you know, where are the modern-day Nazarites? Who are they? Well, I know by my conversations with some of you, some of you say, you know, um, well, missionaries, because they're the ones that are most sold out, and they're the ones that make the, the biggest uh, 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 commitment. And so, we, you know, they're, they're more righteous than the rest of us. Well, trust me, I know all our missionaries. And they're just like you, which means all of you could be missionaries. Doesn't require the super religious to be and to do that. So what are we to make of these sorts of things? What are we to make? How, how is it that we are to think of this? When you see someone who is living a set-apart life 
unaware, not thinking about it, but just simply being the faithful person that God has made him to be. Don't honor them so much, but think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Um, when uh, I read and when I see and when I hear about situations like what happened in Las Vegas, and I see pictures of police officers running towards danger. I honor them, but I thank the Lord for Jesus Christ who ran towards danger for me. And in fact, the danger killed him to set me free and to protect me. So when you see this, certainly honor that and what we see in other people, but it should always point us to the ultimate one who keeps his vows for us and keeps our vows for us to set us free because he is the sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need a sense of this today. Forgive us for, uh, well, just our temptations to think that somehow or other we could earn our righteousness, that we could earn our way. Help us today to take seriously the fact that you died, that you kept the promise of God, and that that would move us to think more uh, uh, clearly about the promises that we've made. Jesus, help us today to see you as the perfect sacrifice and the one who perfectly kept, uh, um, well, kept all our promises for us. And Lord, help us to entrust ourselves more fully uh, into your hands. Deliver us from self-righteousness but also deliver us from a self-defeating kind of discouragement. Help us to see the cross and see the work that you've already done for us and allow that to move us and to energize us. Help us, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.
stand with us? Jesus. 